You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. <laughs> Lord help me. Y'all pray for me. Uh, I'm a knucklehead. All right. Exodus 15 this morning. Uh, so you can go back and watch that as well uh, on Facebook if you'd like to. Uh, and then uh, we'll be uh, back on that next week. But I want to ask a question this morning out of the book of Exodus chapter number 15. Can a bitter life be made sweet? Can a bitter life be made sweet? Have you ever uh, experienced bitterness in your life? Have you ever along the way encountered things that have brought great pain and distress, um, confusion into your life? I think that we all have. Uh, and if you haven't, which I doubt that you haven't, but if you haven't, uh, listen, you probably will. And for those of us that have been led down some of those tough roads, guess what? We're probably going, we probably have more in the future. Uh, and I know we don't like hearing that, but it's the truth. But the question is this, can a bitter life be made sweet? So that's the question I want to get to ultimately. But first of all, I want to go back in the very start of Exodus chapter number 15 and talk a little bit about kind of how salvation and how our life seems to go sometimes as Christians. In Exodus chapter number 15, the Bible says in verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He's my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And it just goes on and on. I encourage you to read this whole song. It's a glorious song. Now, if you follow what happened, uh, what happened in, uh, that led up to this? Well, the children of Israel were in bondage for hundreds of years down in Egypt. They were in cruel bondage under uh, Pharaoh. And now, spiritually speaking, there's a good uh, picture there because I'm preaching about Israel today, but I'm also preaching about us. Because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that the things that happen to these people that we're reading about today happen for our ensamples, for examples for us to learn from. And they, they were brought out, because think about it for a moment, how, what, what was it that brought them out of Egypt? It was the mighty strong hand, it was the miracles of God, but ultimately it was the blood of the Lamb, wasn't it? There on that Passover night. And so the blood of the Lamb was shed, and it brought about deliverance for the children of Israel. God brought them across the Red Sea. And here in chapter number 15, they have come out on the other side. And not only did God save them from Egypt, not only did God rescue them, but He says, there's Canaan land to look forward to. There's the promised land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey, a wonderful place, and it's much like us. After I got saved by God's grace, I found out that God has promised an abundant life for us. And one of the things I preach about a lot around here is I preach about salvation by grace through faith. You need to be saved. But I also preach about the abundant Christian life, that God has an abundant Christian life for you, the perfect will of God, surrendering to His will. Uh, and so they had a lot to be excited about. And they're singing and they're praising 
just a hallelujah kind of time. Isn't it wonderful? Do you remember when you first got saved? You remember how exciting that was? You know, I've often heard about people, uh, and I can remember times in my life to where I hoped that I could recapture that feeling of when you first got saved. But it eluded me greatly because I remember, man, why can't I get that feeling anymore? But you know what? I'm glad that I got beyond that. And I feel like, I feel like life now is even greater than that feeling. And, and again, I mentioned it this morning in Sunday school, I believe, but it's not as much about the feeling. It's much about the fact. And I let the facts affect my emotions. And so I look at what God says, and I just praise Him. Amen? And so, uh, but, but the joy. And so they were singing. They were praising God. Let me tell you something. It is good to be saved. It really is. It is. I remember when I first got saved. I mean, I feel like the moment, and, and, and maybe it didn't happen exactly like this for you, so don't compare your experience to mine as far as what happened after I got saved. But man, almost immediately, there was a burden that I sensed being lifted off of me. And, I, and, and then on top of that, the benefit that I had is that I went to a Bible preaching church to where I walked in the door and people were excited to see me. They were encouraged that I was saved. Uh, they, were, they had been praying for me. And, and that excitement just spread. And man, I was pumped up. I was excited. I was happy. Uh, just fired up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's just wonderful to be saved. And I'm telling you, it is great to be saved. So the, the, their deliverance that we see in verse number uh, 1 and 2, and really on down through there as they sing this song. Notice on down to verse number 20, they're still singing. <laughs> I didn't read it all to you, but they're still singing. And in verse 20, and Miriam, prophetess, this is Moses' sister, the sister of Aaron uh, as well, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out with her with timbrels and with dances. They were singing. They were praising the Lord. Miriam uh, got so excited. Man, she started dancing. And listen, when the Bible talks about dancing, understand it's talking about a celebratory type of dance. It's not that they were out uh, gyrating and bumping and grinding and stuff. Some people try to justify that. Uh, you know, oh, it's okay, okay if I twerk. They danced in the Bible. They weren't twerking here. Where'd that come from? I don't know. Um, the point that I'm make here, uh, and please don't look that up if you don't know what it is, but um, <laughs> forgive me. Uh, I do a lot better when y'all aren't here, I swear, all right? But anyway, uh, they, were, they were singing, they were dancing, they were delivered. They were dancing, listen, and they were going in a direction. God had blessed them. God was leading them. It was all good. Anybody you ever experienced that in your life? Man, you're happy. It's great. You might feel like dancing. And uh, some of you say, please don't, man. I, you know, Melanie makes fun of me, you know, when I, when I try to dance. Says I look, you know, like uh, a little geriatric or something, you know, a little stiff. Uh, but, uh, but I could dance back in the day. But regardless of that, uh, deliverance, dancing. But notice in verse 22, the Bible says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, shouting and a-singing, and they went out into the wilderness of shore. Now, we talk about wilderness here. When you and I speak about wilderness in our culture, we think of a big forest. Uh, but but, but th this wilderness is talking about a desert because the wilderness is just a wild place. Uh, that's all it is. It's uninhabited, and you know whether it be a forest, whether it be a desert. But this is a desert. 
and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. How long can man, um, how long can a person survive without water? About three, going into maybe four days at max. They were going three days without water. And they came to Marah, and they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. And uh, we'll get to that point in just a moment. So we see their deliverance. We see their dancing. We see their direction. So here it is. Everything's going good in their life. But all of a sudden, they went from singing and from dancing and from shouting and praising God. They were on cloud nine into the desert. You ever gotten to dry places in your life? Have you ever gotten to your places in your life to where it seemed hard to find something to praise God for? You're looking around for some kind of refreshment, some kind of spiritual encouragement, but you're getting none? You don't think you're going to make it? Listen, literally, they were on the doorstep of death. They were literally within hours of dying. You ever feel like that spiritually? You ever feel like you're just not going to make it? You're hungry, you're thirsty. But I got a question for you. As we talk about their deliverance and their dancing, but I got a question about this direction. What are these people doing here? What in the world are they doing three days journey into a dry, barren desert and wilderness? Why are they going this way? Well, there's something that, that's explained to us in Exodus 13 that tells us why they went this way. Exodus 13, verse 21 says this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way, and by night in a pillar of, fly, of fire to give them light, and to go on day and night. Okay? Uh, oh, why did they go this way? They followed God this way. Why were they here? The Lord led them here. Their direction. See, the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. So one of the reasons, why do you end up in dry places? Why did Paul end up in prison? See, sometimes, I don't know, we, we somehow believe this myth that if we love God, if we get saved and we trust Him, our problems are going to go away. And it's just going to be all singing and dancing from here on out. But beloved, that is not the case. Paul ended up getting beaten and put in jail. Paul ended up being shipwrecked. Paul ended up being beaten again and put into prison. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood for God. And you know what God did? God go to the, the burning, fiery furnace, didn't he? Now, some of you know the rest of the story. That they did not feel the pain that God brought them through that. And I just want to say something at the risk of getting ahead of myself. Since God led them there, it stands to reason that God must have been with them there. Now, they weren't feeling it, man. They were not feeling it. It was not, they, 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 they weren't singing. They weren't dancing. See, their trials let them, their eyes began to get taken off the Lord. 
And as the, the more desperate they got, the less they were looking to the Lord. And they, they, we'll see where their attention was in just a moment. But the direction we go, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we follow God, and sometimes that leads us to dry places. Following God may lead you to the doctor to get the bad news that you have cancer or that you have some other incurable disease. Following God places. Following God, like Joseph, takes you to being beaten by your brothers and thrown into a pit. Takes you being sold into a, to be a slave like Joseph was in uh, the book of Genesis. It causes you to be slandered, to be lied about like Joseph, and then thrown into prison for a good 10 years. But through all of that, if God is leading you, guess who's with you? The Lord. And that's what the Bible says about Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And I'm telling you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the midst of that burning, fiery furnace, the Lord was with them. Amen? And I want to tell you something right now. If you're in the midst of a desert... If you're in the midst of a dry and barren season of your life, you may not feel like God is within a million miles of you, but I promise you, He is right there with you. I promise you today, He has promised that He will never leave you, He will never forsake you, He will bring you through the desert. I talked about a pastor, a discouraged pastor one time. And he said this, he made this statement. He said, I know that God put me here. I just wonder if he remembers where he put me. <laughs> I know God put me here, but I just wonder if he remembers where he put me. You, wanna, you know what I want to say to that? He does, and he's with you. You say, preacher, how can you say that? Because I'm a person just like you're a person, and I've had to go through these dry places. So they're going through the desert. Now, if that's not bad enough, they're going through the desert, they're dry, they're, I mean, and, and, I mean, think about this. We're talking about over 2 million people in this congregation. There's people out there with their, there's moms with their kids that are concerned about their families. There's dads that are starting to wonder, man, was I crazy following after Moses? Should I have even left? These doubts are creeping in. But there's good news on the horizon. Up ahead, guess what they see? Water. They see water up ahead. And I'm telling you, it looks like there's a ray of hope. It looks like, yes, there's an answer. We're coming out of this. And boy, I can imagine as they had been dragging for those last, especially that, that third day, just dragging along. But I imagine, buddy, when they saw that water, I imagine that they found something within themselves to pick up the pace. I can imagine people are rushing down to that water, and they get there, and man, they fall on their knees, and, and they splash that water on their face, and they, and they cup their hands, and, and they begin to drink that water up. But no sooner than they put it to their face and get it in their mouths, they spit it out. Why? It's bitter water. It's some kind of polluted uh, a water source. Mara means bitter. Isn't that bad? It's bad to be in the desert place. But what about when you go from the desert to disappointment? 
You go from thinking, okay, maybe things are going to work out. I see some signs of improvement with my child. It looks like things maybe are turning the corner. I got a good report from the doctor. My, my disease seems to be in remission. This is good. And man, we praise God and we say, Hey, y'all, it's looking good. There's water up ahead. Finally, I'm coming out of this desert. Only to be disappointed. You ever been there? That's where these people were at. Only to go back to the doctor again and say, It's back. It's back. Only to find out that when you thought things were all going to be better, all of a sudden, things are going bad again. Disappointment. See, then we really ask the question, Why, Lord? Why would God lead me here? Why would He take me from my dancing and from my deliverance to this desert of disappointment? See, we all come to places in our lives where we do not understand. And I want to say that there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out why. There's nothing wrong with trying to make sense of it and say, God, why are you doing this? What are you up to? But I'm telling you, you've got to really check the motive of your why. Is it a why of trying to gain some knowledge, or is it, is it an accusatory why? There's nothing wrong with asking why, but we need to ask God, Lord, help me to understand why. But here's something you need to understand. God's not always going to give you the answer to that. Because you wouldn't understand it anyway. But I'll tell you one thing. I can tell you right now, I'm looking at some people right now that have gone through exactly what we're reading about right now. There's some of you right now that you're in the desert. There's some of you that even worse, it seems, are in the disappointment. The thing that's not so bad about being in the disappointment phase is that you're pretty close to the, back to the deliverance phase. Amen? Amen. Uh, uh, but there's people that have gone through this. And as God brought you through, I tell you, I remember when I first got saved, I, I still love the song Amazing Grace, don't you? And I remember how much I loved that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That was my testimony. And I believe it's the testimony of all those who come to Christ. But I tell you, Ron, I hadn't been saved a few years until another one of those verses in that song became my favorite and has been my favorite ever, ever since then. And that's the third stanza of amazing grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. In other words, I had begun to go through some deserts. I had begun to experience some disappointment. But one thing I found out is that God was always faithful. And for those of you that are listening to me today that are really doubting, you're struggling you're beginning, you're, you're, you're thinking about throwing in the towel. You're thinking about giving up. You're questioning whether this path you've gone on for God is paying off or not. Would you have just been better off to stay in Egypt? But I'm telling you today, listen, God, if you look back, you can think of times in your life that you were thinking along the same lines that God came through. You've had other times in your life when you did not think it was going to work out. You've had other times in your life when you did not think God was going to come through. And guess what He did? Right. He came through, right? right? 
Am I right? And so, listen, there's desert. There's disappointment. What does that lead us to? Verse 24, notice this. The Bible says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So their disappointment led them to befuddlement. Befuddlement. You like that word? Hawk or gunner? Murray? Befuddlement. You know what that means? Ain't that a funny word, sissy? Befuddlement. You know what it means? I wouldn't be surprised if they answered me, honestly. <laughs> but befuddlement just means this. Unable to think clearly. That's the word of the day. Amen? Befuddlement. I want a t-shirt that just says befuddled. <laughs> but befuddlement. It means unable to think clearly. I'll, you mark my words. Jennifer's going to be wearing a t-shirt next week. She orders offline that says befuddled on it. But uh, befuddlement. Their disappointment and their desert led them to befuddlement. Uh, you, will you quit saying that? No, I will not. Thank you very much. Uh, but that just simply means unable to think clearly. Befuddlement means unable to think clearly. And then their befuddlement led to blame. What happened? Moses, where's the water, man? They're complaining and murmuring against Moses. See, the reason I say they were befuddled, not thinking clearly, is because they failed to think about something. They failed to think about what all God had already done for them. They failed, to, they failed to remember how that God sent them a deliverer. <laughs> Never forget, child of God, the Lord sent Jesus Christ to save your soul. Yes, yes that's, that, that's in terms of 2,000 years ago. But praise God for the day. Praise God for the night that he sent the gospel message your way to you where you could hear the gospel. Amen. Thank God for a mom or a daddy that shared the gospel with you. Thank God for the preacher or that faithful brother or sister that shared the gospel of Christ with you. Amen. I mean, listen, I mean, uh, the, the, the God's been faithful, but they had forgot about that. They weren't thinking clearly. It was so evident uh, how much they meant to the Lord. It was evident how much God loved them and cared for them evident how, will, how far he was willing to go to deliver them and to save them. Amen. But they were befuddled. They weren't thinking clearly. All they, they, you know what they felt like? They, they felt like what you feel like sometimes. God has forsaken me. God has forgotten about me. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't know what I've done for God to leave me, but he's left me. I don't know what I've done to experience this judgment by God, but I'm experiencing it. And probably you're thinking to yourself, maybe some things you have done. I deserve this anyway. And you ask God, Lord, what have I done? What's wrong? Can you... Let me tell you something about God. You listen to me very clearly on this. Our God does not play games. Remember all what God did to save you, to make you His child? Or are you befuddled? Are you not being able to think clearly? Remember for a moment. Think about all he's done for you. Think about him bringing you to Christ. Think about him bringing you to a fellowship of believers so you could grow experience the love and power of God in your life. But, you, but, but, but if you're not thinking clearly, it's easy to forget. And it's easy uh, to, to, to think God's forsaken you. But let me tell you something about God. The thing I don't want you to forget is this. And mark it down. God doesn't play games. 
If God went through the lengths that he went through to bring you to himself, to make you his child, he's not all of a sudden going to say, ha, I'm going to punish him, but I'm not going to tell him why. I'm going to let something come between our relationship, but I'm never going to let them know. You're on your own to figure it out. Folks, that is not my God. Does anybody else feel like, I mean, like naturally, can you feel like though? He's left me alone. He's judging me. I don't know why, but I deserve it. He's not judging you. Now, there's a possibility that he is, but I'm saying if you're sincere with God and you say, Lord, search my heart. Is there something I need to get right? Let me tell you what God will do. He'll reveal it to you. Okay, but he didn't reveal it to me, and I feel still, I still feel terrible. My situation still isn't better. Well, let me tell you something. You mark this down. He's with you. He loves you. He's caring for you, and he's carrying you. See, they're blank there. So they were befuddled because they forgot about what all God had done for them. Therefore, they weren't able to look clearly. Their befuddlement led to blame. And when you think about this blame, well, I'll tell you, well, let me, let, me, let me give you this real quick. Why were they not able to endure through this trial? The, the answer to that question is, why are they complaining now? Why are they fussing at Moses? Because they took their eyes off the Lord. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, Seeing we also are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And listen to this. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What's that word patience mean? Endurance. If we, if we have to run this race with patience, if we have to live this life with endurance, you know what that tells me? It's hard. And what I'm trying to do right now to you and to me is to get you to turn your eyes in the right place. How are we going to run with endurance? Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. See, and that looking to Him does not mean to say, okay, I look to the Lord, but my problem's still terrible. Everything's still falling apart. No, no, no. Looking unto Jesus, that word looking right there, it means to look away from everything else and to look to Him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, my friend, when, our faith, when, when we fail the challenge of faith, and that's really what it is, there's, there's, a, there's another stern word in the book of Hebrews about us complaining and murmuring against God. It takes... It takes a lack of faith in order to do that. It takes unbelief. Now, what kind of heart is a heart of unbelief? According to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Folks, we need to understand that to doubt our God is just not right. It's just not. And we must get that right. Look to Him. Amen? And so we see that they were befuddled, but we also see that they blamed. They blamed Moses. See, people like to blame somebody when things aren't going right. Husbands will look at their wives and they'll say, it's your fault. We're having family issues. It's your fault. 
that this is happening. I think uh, there, there's people this happens in the ministry all the time. It, it happens in the church all the time. It's your fault. You're the one that, that, that started taking our family to church. It's your fault. So, uh, a husband or a wife says to her husband, it's your fault. You moved us up here uh, to some God-forsaken state or country or, or something. It's your fault that we're experiencing this. See, befuddlement, when we get our eyes off of Jesus, in other words, it leads to us trying to find somebody to blame, somebody to point the finger at, somebody to be mad at. And you may be the type of person that's going to just try to blame and take all your frustration out on yourself. So we see... The question is, can a bitter life be made sweet? So we see the desert, we see the disappointment, but the good news is we can see a design. In other words, we can see a principle. We can see a God who has a plan. Notice what the Bible says in verse 25. Moses did the right thing, and I want to encourage you today to do the same thing that Moses did. The Bible says... In verse 25, and he cried unto the Lord. The Bible doesn't say he prayed. We call this praying. But oftentimes, he didn't just go and say, well, dear Father, it seems as if we've run out of water, and it seems as if we're all about to die, and uh, oh, thou great, mighty God, and whatever else. Uh, no, cry, you, re you can go to the Psalms. See what it looks like. Oh, God! Oh, God, help! Amen. See, the, the, the problem that we have and the reason, one of the reasons we go through this, Psalm 107 uh, goes through and gives the history of Israel. There's a verse that I'll share about that in just a moment before we go, but there's a design. Well, I'll give it to you now. Psalm 107, verses 5 through 7. This is repeated throughout Psalm 107, but it says this. One of the purposes is to get us to where we realize that we're desperate. Now, here's something that we really need to understand. We're desperate whether we realize it or not. In other words, we're always in desperate need of God's help. Always. Every day. I mean, I need thee every hour. How desperate do you feel today? See, when we're not desperate for God, we're not desperate for God because we're depending on other things. We may even be depending on the blessings that God has given us. We may be learning to depend upon ourselves. And God says, man, that's no way to live. You can't depend on that. You can't have joy. You can't have power. You can't be an effective Christian when you're self-sufficient. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 107, verse 5. Hungry and thirsty... Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. So when we talk about design, we talk about purpose. One of the reasons that we go through difficult times sometimes is to help us to realize we're desperate for His help. <laughs> and let me tell you something. You say, well, is that cruel? It's not cruel at all. It's the mercy of God. Right. It's the mercy of God that He doesn't let us go on leaning and depending on things that are ultimately going to fail. Amen. He wants us to learn to lean on Him. You remember Mary and Martha? 
One of my favorite stories in the Bible, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, they called Jesus. Why? Because things had gotten dry, Dan. They were in the desert. But there's good news. Jesus is only uh, just a little ways off. He's close. He's our friend. Jesus, what? all Jesus is doing is out here healing people, raising people from the dead, doing all these great things. We're friends of Jesus. In other words, they saw some water ahead of them. They sent a messenger to Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, I'm coming. Waited three days. In other words, now their desert turned into discouragement and disappointment. Hope was gone. There's no possible way now. I mean, Lazarus is dead now. Then here comes Jesus. Oh, well, thanks a lot, Lord. By the way, you know what Mary's name means? It originates from Mara. Bitter. In fact, myrrh in the Bible originates from Mara. It was a bitter, it smelled good, but it was a bitter herb if you ate it or drank it. They tried to give, offer Jesus myrrh when he was on the cross. That'll be at the tree moment, but, I'll, but I'm, I'll, I'll just give you this quick. The fact that Mary, they, it was gone, they were bitter. But I, I need you to listen to me right now. It may seem as if all hope is gone. It may seem as if it's too late. <laughs> but, I, but the one thing God wants to show you is that it's never too late with God. Amen. Amen. Somebody dies, he'll raise them up. Amen. Something's gone too far, praise God, he'll show up. I mean, it may seem like he's late. It may be out of your control because that's probably where it needs to get so that you can see God show up and do something. Amen. The design, the purpose. But I want to say not only the purpose, but the promise. Notice what the Bible says here uh, in, uh, this is a strange thing. Verse 25, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. <laughs> Remember, it's about where you're looking. Which, when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made them a statute and an ordinance, that, and there he proved them. He tested them. He tried them. <laughs> That's odd, isn't it? God showed him a tree. I can't help but think in my mind, just like from a natural perspective, so what? The water's bitter. We're about to thirst to death. Don't worry, everybody. There's a tree. Can you imagine Moses saying that? Hey, y'all, quit your complaining. I've got good news. There's a tree. <laughs> and they say, man, his brain's dehydrated. He's, he's lost it. What good's a tree going to do me? But a tree will do you a whole lot of good. Amen? Because what this tree pictures is Calvary. Amen? Look to the tree. And when the tree is brought into bitter waters, and there may be some of you out there right now saying, are you crazy? He's telling us to look. There's a tree. Be encouraged. There's hope. Why? There's a tree. But folks, I say there is because there's a cross. You say, what's that matter? It matters because of this. We see the design, we see the purpose, we see the promise. Uh, Acts, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, the Bible says, What shall we say then to these things? 
the devil fighting against us, trials, tribulations. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, this is the tree, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know why the tree is the answer? The tree is the answer because if he was willing to go to the cross for me, if he was willing to go through that for me, how would he not also give me all things? See, he knew every failure. He knew every sin. He knew every trial of faith. He knew every time that I would come short of the glory of God. But I'm telling you, he had a plan all along. I'm telling you, the tree encourages me because I've got to look when I get befuddled. And I say, this doesn't make sense. And when I say, why God? And I don't get the answer that I want, which I seldom ever do. There's one thing that I can promise you and one thing that I'm assured of. Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand this desert. And God, I don't understand this disappointment. But one thing I do know, Lord, you loved me enough to go to the cross for me. I mean, in other words, you're that valuable to him. That's what the tree teaches. So how can a bitter life be made sweet? A bitter life can be made sweet by realizing that there's a Savior that loves you like crazy. The sovereign God of the universe that can do anything loves you, cares for you greatly. And that's what helps make those bitter waters sweet. Man, they drunk of those waters. There's the provision. Can I tell you something? The bitter waters don't last forever. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 27. The Bible says, And they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water, one for each tribe, amen, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. God led them to another fresh water source. God's design, we see the purpose of His design, the promise of His design of the desert and of disappointment, and then the provision. I'm going to close with this illustration. In 1974, there was a man by the name of Alexander uh, Shiloskin. He was a brilliant Russian philosopher, historian, and novelist. But he was also a dissident who opposed communism. He opposed the communist state. As a result... He was locked away in an isolated Russian labor camp. There were no books allowed. There was no outside communication. There was no radio. The prisoners were not even allowed to speak to one another. If they were to speak to one another, they would be beaten cruelly. So here's this man out there day after day, all day long, working in these cruel labor camps. Day, backbreaking labor under the watchful eye of armed guards. He began to wonder if anybody knew he was there. Listen to this. He began to wonder if anybody cared. You may feel like today that nobody even knows where you are. There could be some truth in that. It may be to where we can't, I can't always, one thing I'll not say to people, if I haven't been there, I don't say I understand. 
Because <laughs> that's foolish. I may not be able to say I understand, but I'm glad I can point you to one who does understand. He's touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He literally feels your pain. He feels your weaknesses. He wondered if anybody knew he was there. He wondered if anybody cared. Anyone? He wondered if anybody cared. His despair grew to the point that this man began to contemplate ending his life. He could not imagine living the rest of his days in this labor camp because that's exactly what would happen oftentimes. But he said that his faith would not allow him to end his own life. But he had another idea. And once again, he said he was befuddled. He didn't use that word, but he should have. He said his mind wasn't right, he wasn't thinking right, and he couldn't end his own life, but he had an idea, Chad. He knew that if he were to run, try to escape, the guards would gun him down, kill him. So he thought, I'm not going to kill myself, I'll run and let the guards kill me. So he come up with this idea. And one day as they were working out there, as they did every single day, back-breaking labor, they gave him a very brief break. And they allowed them to go sit down under a tree, and under the tree Alexander sat. And as he sat there, he built up his courage, and he said, It's time. And as he pushed his hands down to the ground, ready to push himself up so he could spring up and just take off running and wait to be shot by the guards, right before he's about to get up, Connor, a man that he had never seen before, remember they couldn't speak, come and just stood right in front of him. And just looked him and stared him in the eyes. I mean, just gazed at him. And he said, in that man's eyes was a look of compassion. In that man's eyes was a look of understanding. And he said, the man stood there unable to speak. But he had a stick in his hand. And on the dirt in front of Alexander, he drew a cross in the ground. And he turned and walked away. Right then, Alexander changed his mind, and he knew that God was trying to communicate with him. Don't do this. Don't do this. And you want to know what happened? Three days later, Alexander is a free man in Switzerland. Because he had no idea that a lot of people knew he was there. He was an important man. There was people that, there was outcries over his imprisonment. There were Christians praying for this man. And I'm telling you, things happened and put into motion to where he was set free. Three days later. See, there are some of you right now that have your hands down on the ground. You're ready to spring up. You're ready to say, man, I'm done. I'm done. But I want to stand in front of you right now by God's grace with a stick. Amen. And, and, and draw a tree in front of you and just say, don't do it. It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to give up. Don't give up. Can you imagine if he would have jumped up, ran off, and been killed? Listen, he was a free man three days later. And he lived to be an old man. Don't quit. Don't give up. The design that he has, there's a purpose, there's a promise, there's a provision. God will provide for us.